This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's It's Rog. It's Monday. Very erotic voice, by the way. Oh, thank you very much, Jürgen. Do I sound different? I think I do. After spending all weekend a tingle watching glorious, fanless football. Live sports. I missed you. Like the deserts miss the rain. I'm sure you watched. Fellow Schalke fans, big hugs. We need it. Because Dortmund. Oh. We proper hate them. But they're very good at football. Or at least the kind of football we watched at the weekend. The kind without handshakes, celebrations, spitting and fans. Despite that, it was all a boon for my sports-starved soul. There may have been a barrage of negativity about the eerie echoes after every pass and rusty match fitness from around the 60th minute onwards, but let's focus on what the new normal is rather than what it's not. It's engrossing, it's exhilarating, calming, and perhaps most important of all, for 90 minutes we were connected in a positive human way that only sports can provide. Let me take you back to the 29th minute when this happened. Angriff über die rechte Seite. Holland macht es tatsächlich und Borussia Dortmund geht in der 29. Minute mit 1:0 in Führung durch Erling Holland. A back heel, a sweeping team move, a ball across the box, finished ruthlessly by that potent blonde cube, Erling Haaland. Oh. When he scored, I will put money on the fact that you peed in your pants just a little bit. And at the final whistle, when the Dortmund players walked up to their empty fame yellow wall, which normally would have been packed with 25,000 standing delirious fans reveling in their team's dominance, oh, as they moved through their ritual of bowing even while social distancing, it was, well, it was eerie. It was haunting, but it was a moment filled with love and a sense of exactly what's been lost. Tell me, tell me you didn't tear up just a little bit. Oh, that is why we watch football. It's actually Jurgen Klopp who summed up best the feelings I experienced over the weekend. He told the BBC that we fell in love with the game of football as kids first back in the day. And the spectacle it is, the Premier League came second. And when we watched on Saturday, the Bundesliga, the fanless experience, it's like a movie shorn of its special effects, yes. But it was, in Jurgen Klopp's words, the game again. The game we loved as kids. The game stripped bare. And it was magnificent. Good enough. Good enough. Spielt in die Mitte. Da ist Hazard. Und Tor. Und Tor. Und Tor. Und Tor. Und Tor. Es steht 3 zu 0. You are listening to WGFOP The Bald. The show where you call in the questions and I fumble fecklessly for answers. 646-450-9472 is the number. Call it now. I'll be calling the person who asked the best question back for a proper conversation on your phone. So leave us a message on our hotline, 646-450-9472, and you could be the one besmirched. Let's sting them up. W-G-A. 
Thank you as ever, Doug Pegg of Austin, Texas, who has a friend who has a dog named Nigel. Oh, courage. Question one, please, Doctor. Hey, Mr. Bennett. Big fan. Uh, my name's Ian. I live in Indianapolis. I am an Arsenal supporter as well as an Indy 11 USL supporter as well. Um, I had a question because you are a Chicagoan, of course. I'm sure you've been watching The Last Dance about, you know, the 98 Bulls. And in the most recent episode uh, from this past Sunday, I think it was Andrea Kramer, somebody mentioned how the announcement of MJ retiring was one of those moments for Chicagoans where you remembered where you were when you heard the news. And so I just was curious because I've been listening to you for a long time, and I don't think I've ever heard your story as far as where you were when you found out MJ retired. So I uh, was just curious about that. All right. So thank you very much. Courage. Ian, great question because, well, few people have won the past month and a half more than Michael Jordan. I guess winning is what that man does. Riding the lack of sports to own the American weekend sporting narrative. I mean, some Sundays I've actually only known my bearing in relation to the rest of the week because Last Dance was on. It's like a North Star. I've talked a little bit about how I experienced this back in the day. I moved to Chicago to fulfill my dreams, and then two days later, I was watching the local news, and they broke the news. They cut into a, a, a show already in progress to break the news. It was that seismic that Michael Jordan was retiring. Now, Michael Jordan was one of the key reasons I moved to America in the first place. I had a Michael Jordan post, a rookie season, tongue out, dunking, on the back of my door, blue tacked up below a Nerf basketball net that I brought back from my life-changing summer spent in the northern suburbs of Chicago. Brought it back like kind of a Viking brings back war booty. And so when this news break happened, it was it was a crushing blow. It was like, you know, a Greek hero, not really a hero, closer to a Greek than a hero, me, traveling on an epic odyssey that took years to successfully navigate against the odds, only to succeed in your mission and then find out that one of the core reasons you undertook it in the first place was just no longer there. I mean, it was galling and even worse to then see him hacking away at a baseball for my beloved White Sox, no matter how much I'm attempting to revise and burnish history right now in that documentary, a documentary that Michael Jordan helped produce about Michael Jordan. I mean, back in the day, he looked terrible at the plate. They haven't had him on the sports part, the evening news, on a nightly basis. And just watch him hacking away, fumbling. I mean, it was a reminder we are all human beings. Having said that, I reveled in the Jordanless balls that season. I mean, the Pippin Kukoc team. I always adored, and we've talked about this a lot, Luke Longley. I felt so close to him. You know, he was a giant Australian centre. If you never saw him play, he went out every night, ground out his game against some of the NBA's greatest big men. A basketballing everyone. He wasn't very good. He looked lost. He didn't seem to know why he was there at times. And I related to him. Neither of us knew what the hell we were doing. And he was always an inspiration to me. Luke Longley, a bloke who, like me, arrived with nothing. And unlike me, found cult fame found cult fortune, really an incredible life journey. And I used to watch him and the Bulls a ton at Jimmy's Woodlawn Tap. And when Jordan came back, 
Jamie, my best friend in the world, that Jamie, he just moved from England to Chicago to live with me and we watched every single game of that 72-10 and 10 season up in Rogers Park at the Heartland Cafe and I remained fascinated, even though Jordan was back in our lives, I was almost done with him when he retired. I remained fascinated by the fringe squad players, the likes of Longley, Judd Bushler, Randy Brown, Dickie Simpkins. Don't get me started on Dickie Simpkins. All these guys who had to swallow their ego and learn to play precise niche roles so that they could stick around. That was the magic of the balls to me, the totality of the team, the true collective. And it's that collective spirit which lifted the entire city and made it buzz in a way Liverpool will when Klopp wins the title. A swaggering city that yearned, yearned for glory. Oh, being rewarded. Well, the best word I can say but uh, will describe this was boom. <laughs> <laughs> Next question, please, nurse. Hey, Raj, this is Corey in Louisville, Kentucky. Everton and now Schalke supporter. Now that Bundesliga is starting, if you guys start doing your crap men and later hazing show, what food will you use to predict matches instead of pie? Would it be strudel, schnitzel, pretzel, a bratwurst? Thanks so much for the content you've provided during the quarantine. What are my highlights every day? I'll leave you with the most German-sounding of translations for courage that I could find. Deep ahead sight! Corey from Louisville. Oh, I don't know what the heck you just said, but I love it. Oh, just thinking about your city makes me want to go to Mama's Mustard Pickles and Barbecue soon. Soon. Yes, Corey, German football is amazing. And one of the many reasons I love it is... The games I've been to, the crowds are so joyous, so happy to be together, communing, drinking beer, most importantly of all probably, eating sausage. Oh, that even when the team go a goal down, the thing I notice it's different to, say, English Premier League crowds where the fans get so furious, so pissed off when they concede. I mean, we've all been there, but the Germans, they almost look down seeing the hands we've still got the beer we've still got the sausage let's put going one nil down into perspective and it's that approach not just to football but to life that i really believe in and admire savor what you have not what you don't have that that to me is a life philosophy words to live by so the german games at the weekend they were of course fanless sean of the bundesliga's greatest asset it's remarkable supporter culture. There were flickerings of fan protest. Football will survive. Your business is sick. Read a huge banner behind the goal at Augsburg on Saturday afternoon. In Cologne, posters appeared with the words, Our money is more important than your health. Bundesliga at any price. But overall, as we discussed up top, I thought it was magnificent to experience the whole, the whole thing. Or let's say good enough to get us through the medium term. To be honest, I loved it so much more than I thought I would. I mean, the thrill of an avant-garde pass played through a crevice of space I didn't even see. The adrenaline rush of a buccaneering overlapping run. And most of all, that exclamation point of a sound as the ball smacks the back of the net. Human emotions, human experiences that I've missed. I mean, there was a VAR goal overruled in the Bayern Munich game and seeing VAR in action again, just the injustice, the ridiculousness of it. It was like seeing a great old friend again for the first time after lockdown. And just the experience of 
Oh, my emotions dented. Oh, I teared. I teared. I miss you, Var. I miss you. Football as the cartilage on the bone of life. And one of the fascinating kick-on effects was the immediate impact it's had on the Premier League powers that be. They were watching another league drink its milkshake. This morning, Zoom call, unanimous decision, players greenlit, get back to non-contact group training, will ya? June 19th now mooted as the target date for Premier League return. A positive step, which now tees up mm, more difficult ones. The biggest battleground shaping up to be that between executives and players over exactly how long they'll need to get match fit and play live games and under what protocols, what is safe in England. Remember, and this is key for the Premier League, the Bundesliga and every American sports is that... Every single league is just a mirror of the society that surrounds them. And the Bundesliga return, we need to say this, it's fragile. But it's been empowered by the German approach to coronavirus overall. Lukas Podolski crowed quite correctly. He said, we Germans have done it again with discipline, with organisation and cohesion. It's true. I mean, this is all to do with flattened curves, with tests, with contact tracing as much as football administration, actually more the former than the latter. And that's why Raheem Sterling is already steamy in asking, why are we talking mid-June? We need at least five weeks to get match fit and prevent injuries. And Troy Deeney is saying, slow down, slow down. A beautiful quote. He said, there's still an incredible number of people losing their lives in Britain through this. The death toll in the UK is anything between 33,000 and 38,000, he said. That's filling our stadium and then filling it half again. It is a sobering thought. Yes, Troy Deeney, it is a sobering thought, and there needs to be a lot more thought before we see English football come back in the way we've just savoured the Bundesliga. Let's hear some wisdom to pick us all up. Cheers, boys. Wouldn't have been able to do it without all here, but um, the gaffer just said that he's going to put some beers on the coach in the plane. And next question. This is Dylan calling from Walnut Creek, California, Liverpool supporter, aspiring to be proper Liverpool. My question for you is, if you were to be brought to a university as a guest lecturer for a semester to teach a course on football, what would be in your syllabus? So what would be the games, the coaches, the teams, or even other books that you would have as required reading? Thanks. Courage. Dylan, I've not been to Walnut Creek, but wow. What a poetic-sounding place. A creek filled with walnuts, do you say? Oh, a fruititarian's paradise. Look, universities across the country are in panic, are in chaos, are rethinking their very mission, their very existence. And despite that, none have yet been so desperate as to ask me, Rog, to lecture, which is a good sign if I was asked. And I genuinely love to talk football with America's future leaders. Evergreen University, come and get me. I'd love to talk about really the mechanics of the game, the muscle, the thing that has truly made the sport we love, the world's game in my lifetime, as opposed to just a working class local delight, which it was when I was a kid. I mean, really, the fusion I'm talking about is that between football, the game, Television, the mass platform, which since the 1982 World Cup has just acted like a global megaphone taking the sport simultaneously around the world like an eclipse. And the massive global brands, the Coke, 
the McDonald's, the Sonys who crave the exposure and pump their money into the game. On one of the first days of the lockdown, I actually tweeted out my 10 favourite football books all time. And if I were to teach, I'd lean hard into those. In particular, The Ball is Round by David Goldblatt, which is a monster of a book, a precisely written 992-page cultural history, definitive. Ajax, The Dutch, The War by Simon Kuiper, my favourite football book of all time and close up there with Simon's. Football in Sun and Shadow by Eduardo Galeano. What a hero. The great late Uruguayan literary giant was a self-described beggar for football and he wrote this poetic history. It's a beautiful, slim volume. He said his goal was to make fans of reading lose their fear of football. And fans of football lose their fear of books. A noble life mission. And every American student should read it. Let's have a sting! Liverpool College breakdancing crew unites! We had no choice but to obey the tracks rhythmic beats, the hand claps, the spacey sonic sound, the hand claps, the spacey sonic sounds. We were coordinated, we were exaggerated. Awful, awful crap. The name is Smithy, and did I mention, you'll see me nightly, in detention. I'm King Rog Rock, the one thing faster than our teachers can cane us, and they are the cane masters. Awful, awful crap. I've got a hat, not a visor, a drink Budweiser. The turntable's up on the drum riser. Next question, please, DJ. Yeah, boy! Brian Lamb, a Boulder, Colorado. That sting lifts me up so high when I'm feeling down. Bit like Alexandra Lacazette and his balloons. Next question. Hello, Raj. This is John from Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm a Liverpool and Shrewsbury Town supporter. I have a question for you related to my wedding last year and the, the predicament that it posed. I wrote to producer J Dubs about the scenario of Liverpool playing in the Champions League final during my wedding ceremony on June 1st. With my one year anniversary approaching, I Thought I would give a little recap of that. Champions League final played at 2 p.m. My ceremony was at 1. So as soon as I got out of the car, I was able to, or got out of the church, I was able to get into the limo, put the match right on. My wife is amazing. She was okay with it. And luckily Liverpool won because she had planned for everybody at our reception to receive a John and Jenna, you'll never walk alone scarf. So with that, uh, a question regarding what in your life have you dealt with in terms of a life event that came up in a scheduling conflict with a football match? Courage. John from Cincinnati, mate, congratulations on your anniversary to life, to love, to good humour. What a question. I mean, here's the story. The kicker of which is the answer to a question that I'm asked on the regs. So here we go. I'm going to take you back to the day France lined up to play Italy in the 2006 World Cup final. Had no idea as I was watching that my life was about to change forever. The game, you'll remember it, largely because of Zinedine Zidane. The headbutt, soccer, as imagined by Vince McMahon. The bull French legend opened the scoring with a cheekily chipped Penenka penalty kick. It was his last ever game. And he succumbed to a moment of madness, nutting Marco Materazzi and being red-carded in a sudden, shocking act of violence. In the final moments of the game, I watched totally overwhelmed with like a numbness while making fumbling attempts to dress for a wedding that afternoon. 
The aftershock of Zidane sending off meant I must have buttoned up the front of my shirt with total muscle memory. I do not remember doing any of that. And as the game was about to go into extra time, my wife, Vanessa, came up to me and she just goes, Roger, we have to go. And my wife rarely uses my full name. It's really only reserved for when I'm in trouble, a rare argument, a moment of extreme stress. And as she spat it out, I just, an emotional alarm bell started to ring. Babe, I said, it's the bloody World Cup final. The wedding's got to wait. And she said, Roger, use my name again. She said, the wedding's on a boat. And if we don't rush now, the boat will have left the dock and we won't be on board. (sighs) You know, you could couch this story as perhaps the greatest testament of my love for my wife and the amount I respect her. But let's not do that because dumbstruck, I let her just click off the television broadcast of the World Cup final and just head down, followed her with a, I'll admit, seething obedience out of the apartment, into the street, into a cab. It was emotionally devastating. I can't articulate how physically, mentally savage that taxi ride down to the South Street Seaport was to be yanked away from the World Cup final in a pre-smartphone era. It felt like, I imagine, if any of you have been spacemen who've been cut off from their air supply mid-moonwalk, if any of you have, and I'm sure lots of you are nodding now, that, that's what it felt like. I was there in body with my wife in the taxi, yet not in mind. And by the time that we'd reached the port, boarded the wedding boat, not going to lie, I was in a very dark place, a very dark place, a mood worsened when I heard that the Italians had ultimately won on penalties and I was surrounded by Americans who could not give two craps. Not one of them cared that they'd missed the bloody World Cup final, the most fascinating World Cup final anyone had ever seen. No one on the boat even knew it had happened and that just sent me into a spiral of doom. I attacked the bar with the fury that Zidane had propelled his cranium into Matarazzi's midriff and vented by just skulking around the periphery of the celebration, scowling, avoiding human contact. And it was at the bar that I encountered a bloke whose countenance was different to all the others. Indeed, his rudeness, his sheer curt dismissiveness, his body language, which seemed to indicate he had no interest in being on the bloody wedding boat on the bloody Hudson. It felt like I was looking in the mirror. He ordered a glass of Malbec. I sidled up, heard his English accent. And though it was the plummy tone of a southerner, I still warmed to just his general disgust and disregard. Are you furious not to be watching the World Cup final, I said. Furious enough to have contemplated sinking this boat, he replied. I extended my hand. I'm Rog. He extended his. Michael Davis, he replied. And that, and that is how I met Davo, the man who my wife calls my other wife. And the moral of this story is pretty obvious. If you, dear listener, are ever forced to leave a World Cup final to witness a wedding you couldn't give two craps about, which possibly is taking place on a boat, do it. Do it. Drag yourself up. Force yourself down that gangplank before the vessel departs because it might just change your life. Last question, please. Hi, this is Joel from Portland, Oregon, a longtime Thorns and Timbers fan, now all in for Dortmund. 
Um, I work in University of Missions and recently had a video call with a student in China who normally I wouldn't have got a chance to talk to before COVID forced us online. And he saw the timber scarves in the background and ran to fetch his Beijing Guan scarf, which is um, the Beijing team is also green and gold. Um, and after recounting our, our mutual loves of football and our cities and what it meant to us over the years, we've agreed to a scarf exchange when he finally gets a student visa and makes it to the U.S. You know, weeks later, thinking about the power of football to connect us across nine time zones, I get goosebumps. And I guess I wanted to share this story about the power of football to connect us and um, ask you what's the most unusually serendipitous and beautiful moment of connection that football has given you, uh, aside, of course, from your friendship with Deva. Thanks. Courage. Joel, oh, thanks for this beautiful question. I mean, the Devo connection obviously changed my life, but it's the countless connections that make football so important in the world. You know, connecting diverse human beings who have no other point of overlap into a massive community, rolling us all up into a mass of humanity. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that the weirdest one I've ever had was when I was 17 years old. I was on the Syrian border with Israel in the days when that zone was was run by the military and it was locked down on a nightly basis. I was lost. I was cold. I was hitchhiking. Night was falling. This was just not a place you wanted to be left alone overnight. And it was deserted. And then out of nowhere, I was on this dusty road. It's like a stereotype of a Hollywood movie. I could see on the horizon just dust rising and then I realized why it was an old VW camper van chugging away over the horizon. It slowly approached me, slowed down. The door was flung open and I looked inside and half a dozen old Druze men looked back at me. They were like looking at me like, what the heck is he doing here? And I looked at them, I'm guessing, with the same kind of (laughs) puzzled fear. And, And one guy said, he just goes, where you from? And uh, I looked back and I just stammered in response, Liverpool? Like question mark, Liverpool? And there was a beat of silence. And then the oldest one, who'd given the respect of uh, taking the front seat, he looked back at me, this guy with a wrinkled face and a crazy beard out of central casting, just smiled a toothless smile and screamed, Liverpool! I looked at him, he's like, Kenny Douglas! Graham Sooness! Ian Ross! Just one 1980s Liverpool footballer who had tortured my Everton on the field after another, and we were just suddenly bonded by passion for English football, English football fandom, And I actually ended up staying at their home, in their hometown, for the entire weekend and just bonding over life to a shared love of football. That, that is life. And that's what I felt on Saturday morning watching the Bundesliga, a sense of connectivity, not just the emotions of excitement pre-game, turn to 4-0 beatdown horror come the final whistle, but the kind of feeling that only football can bring of disappointment, of doom, of despair, all lived out in the safest way possible. That's the marvel 
but even better, the gloriously life-affirming experience that we all shared of having Twitter timelines resound to something more than toilet roll keepy-uppy vids, Kyle Walker sex parties, or just random threads on corner flag disinfection. Instead, they were overwhelmed by the wonders of pass and move team play. Guerrero glory! And creepy Halland celebrations. Football as the cartilage on the bone of life. And the link between people all around the globe. What more beautiful point of human connection can there be than that? We'll be back tomorrow. Keep couraging. Keep